Amen. You can be seated. I want to welcome you to Woodburn Baptist Church this morning. My name is Matt Betts. I'm the youth and young adult pastor here at Woodburn. Uh, pastor Tim is still on vacation every day. I get a picture of him eating a popsicle or sitting on the beach or whatever, and I'm sick of it. So, um, especially this week with all of our rain and stuff. Uh, so, Pastor Tim is going to be watching this, so stop it, okay? Um, so... Especially want to welcome everybody at Cafe Worship. I will not be in there this morning except on a screen. So thank you so much for coming uh, this morning to Cafe Worship. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> Verse 28 through 34. We'll be looking at that here in just a couple of moments. Uh, you know, there are those times in our spiritual lives and in our devotional lives when we come across new or, or old biblical truth that, that changes everything. You know, so, some of those scriptures that you can read over and over and over again, and then all of a sudden you read it that one time and it clicks, depending on what's going on in your life, the circumstances of life, something just pops off the page to you. Uh, for instance, these are a few of the passages that, you know, over the course of the last year or so have really spoken to me in a new and a fresh way. Uh, one of them is this, Romans 5, 8 says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It's a passage of scripture that we've heard many, many times before, but for some reason, not too many months ago, it really clicked with me and, and it helped me understand that, you know, God entered our mess. Our lives were a mess. Our lives were, were full of sin. This world is full of sin, but, but Jesus came and entered our mess. And even though we are still sinners, Jesus still loves us. And it's just one of those passages of scripture, you can read over it so many times, but, but when you focus on it, it, it's very interesting. Another one that I learned as a kid in VBS, I wasn't really a church going kid until I was a teenager, but when I was a little kid, I went to VBS with my grandma. And this is the verse that you always learn at VBS, John three sixteen: for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Um, you can read that passage over and over again, and as a kid, you memorize it, so it becomes very, very familiar to you. But when you realize that that everyone includes you, it changes the whole ballgame. Everyone includes you. No matter if you're a kid or an adult, no matter if you're moral or immoral, no matter if you're clean or dirty, it's everyone, everyone who believes. Another passage of scripture that here lately has been, or for probably for the last couple of years, has really been jumping out at me in, in different ways. So it's Psalm 63, verse 1. It says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. And it's right there in the first part of this scripture. It says, Oh God, you are my God. My God. Not somebody else's God. You're mine. You're, you're my personal savior. You're the one that, that came to, to my life. You're the one that came into my heart. You're the one that forgave my sins. And this passage just jumps off the page and it continues, I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. And, and this, this part of this passage really jumped out at me because it, it's this whole idea that my soul is thirsting for God, no matter if I'm, if I'm trying to fill up in all these different areas of life, my soul is actually thirsting for God. 
and I desperately need God, I desperately need him to satisfy me. No matter what I'm trying to fill it with, it's really Jesus that I'm looking for. It's really Jesus that I'm thirsting after. And so passages like this, new or old to you, may jump out at you at different ways at different times in your life. Well, this passage in Mark chapter 12 is one of those. It's one of those passages I've read hundreds of times probably since I've been a Christian, but it's one of those that became too familiar to me. And a number of weeks ago, I read this one more time, and all of a sudden, God uh, gave me new, a, a new perspective on this passage. So today is one of those times I just want to bring you along on my journey of discovery. Is that okay with everybody? Okay. Let's, let's read Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. The Bible says this, One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of religious law, law replied, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart, all my understanding, all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all, the burnt, all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. You know, this religious man that was standing there, and he'd probably listen to Jesus all day long debating with the, the other religious people. And he's probably one of those guys that kind of sat back in the corner, kind of kept to himself and just observed and soaked in what was going on around him. And at some point, it just got to him. He's like, listen, I've got to know. I've got to know that this, Jesus. And I don't think he was doing it to try to trick Jesus. I think it was more of an honest question. Jesus, t just tell me, man. Tell me. Tell me what's the greatest commandment. Tell me what I'm supposed to do here. What am I supposed to do with all this information? And I think it was an honest question, and Jesus answered him very honestly. And it's a question that, that really I'm asking of God, and maybe you are too. God, just tell me what I'm supposed to do here. Just tell me, tell me what it's all about. And Jesus answers this question. It says, love the Lord with all of your heart, all of your soul all of your mind, and all of your strength. But what does this commandment actually mean? What would it look like in our lives to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? What does it look like? What pops in your head first when you say, love God with your heart? What pops in your head when you say, love God with your soul? Love God with your mind? Love God with your strength? It's kind of interesting, I was going through this passage and just like I always have and, and started looking through it and kind of digging down into it and there was a word that jumped out at me in this passage that I probably skip over most of the time. Can anybody figure out what that word is? It's the word all, the word all. And I started connecting the dots in my mind what this word all means. And, and for me, I love food, okay? And if you know me at all, I love pie. Okay, how many of you like to like pie? Oh yeah, you're my people. 
okay? Love pie, any kind, it don't matter. Chocolate, lemon, caramel, you, you name it, I like it. That's just a hint, okay? I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I had to throw out, the, you know, it's a hint, but uh, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But this word all reminds me of pie. It's kind of, it's, it's this question. If I give you all of my pie, how much do I have left over for myself? Let's say it together. One, two, three, none. If I give you all of my pie, I have none left over for myself. So, so for some reason I had pie on the mind that day when I was studying this passage, but it really connected a spiritual truth to my heart. If I give you all of my pie, that means I don't have any left for myself. Is, does this all mean that? Does it mean the same thing? And the, the question came up was this in my mind, if I love God with all of my heart, then what's left over for the other things I give my heart to? Let that sink in. If I love God with all of my heart, what do I have left over to give my heart to? If I love God with all of my mind, what is there left to, to think the things that I need to think in daily life? Does that, does that make sense to you guys of where I'm tracking here? And it was really causing this dilemma in my, in my heart, my, my soul, because it was like, how can I love God with all of me, yet still love my wife and still love my kids like I'm supposed to, like I'm told I'm supposed to? So it, it was really causing this, this issue in my heart. So, and the thing is, you do understand that these things do have to coincide, right? You have to be able to do both. They have to line up. And if God has given us the command to love him with all of our heart, and we know at least in relationships we're, we're supposed to give our heart away, then how do we do both? How do we do both of these things? There has to be a way to fulfill this command in real life. There has to be a way to do both of these things in real life. God wouldn't give us a command like this unless he made a way for us to do both of these things. Loving God with all of our heart and still loving our family with our heart. So let's talk about this. This, this I'm going to go ahead and warn you a little bit. This passage, and I was telling somebody this morning, and this passage really stepped on my toes. It's, it's, it's some things in here. It's like, man, I don't know if I sh should or want to say these things, but I feel like this passage is leading me in this direction. So let's, let's jump in here first. In the first one, loving God with all of your heart. Loving God with all of your heart. You can give your heart to a whole list of things in this world, we know that, but for the sake of time, we're going to deal with the, the idea of relationships, okay? Because we know that we, you know, we, we have that connotation of, of giving our heart away in a relationship. So let's talk about relationships first. And this is the first thing I want you to remember when we talk about giving your heart uh, to God with, with all of it. Uh, giving your heart to a person should overwhelmingly show the world the church, the person you are in a relationship with, and yourself, that this relationship has everything to do with your love for Christ rather than your love for each other, okay? Let that sink in. I'm going to read it one more time just to, to make it sink in. Giving your heart to a person should overwhelmingly show the world, the church, the person you are in a relationship with, and yourself that this relationship has everything to do with your love for Christ rather than your love for each other. That's how you love God with all of your heart in the framework of a relationship. This is something you don't see very much in the world, in the church, or anywhere. 
This is something that is, that is huge. This is something that is, that is enormous, that, that would change the church completely. If Christian people, Christian couples, Christian married couples would say, you know what, this relationship is awesome, I love you, but this relationship is not about us. It's about Jesus. And for us to love Jesus with all of our heart, we have to look at our relationships like this. We have to look at our relationships and say, I love you, but I don't love you as much as I love Jesus. And we can't exclusively put ourselves together that way. So, so this is what I'm going to do. I want to talk to those who are dating or engaged. Okay, if you're in middle school and you like somebody all the way up through engaged, almost get ready to get married, this is a, this is a pointed statement. If this is not the case, if this is not the case, then you are either with the wrong person or you are at least with the right person, but at the wrong time. Until you can love God with all of your heart, you don't need to give your heart to anybody. Until you can, give, until you can love God with all of your heart, you don't need to give your heart to anybody. And the, re- the thing is, you know how many married relationships are just messed up. You know how many divorces there are in the church. You know what's going on in the church, in the church, not just in the world, in the church. And if couples that were dating, planning on dating, getting engaged, planning on getting married, if they would focus on their love for Jesus, their married life would be so much simpler, so much more fulfilling, so much more satisfying because their love for Christ is the most important thing to them. So if you're dating, if you're, a, 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 if you're an eight-year-old and you're like a little boy in class, okay, you're fo- you focus on your love for Christ first. If you don't do this, you're just asking for problems. So let's talk, let's, let's talk to married couples real quick. I've been married for 13 years, and I promise you I'm not perfect at this by any means. My wife will tell you, she's in cafe, she will tell you, that we've got a long ways to go in this, in this aspect because we didn't start our relationship focusing on our love for Christ. We focused on our love for each other. So we've struggled the last 13 years to get on board with this. But if you're married in here and this is not the case, then this is what you need to do. It's time to get to work. It's time to get to work in your relationship, taking steps in that direction. And if you say, man, my spouse won't do that. My, stou- my spouse won't come along. Well, you lead. Whoever you are, if you're the man, lead. If you're the woman, lead. Whoever needs to take that step in that, that direction, you do that. You do that. Take that step. Say, they won't come along. Pray. You take the step personally in your relationship with God to love Jesus with all of your heart. And I promise you, if both of you are individuals and you're sitting right next to each other this morning and you're both thinking, my spouse won't do that, if both of you individually say, you know what, I'm going to just individually seek Jesus with all of my heart, I promise you, your marriage will grow together because you're seeking Christ with all of your heart. We're supposed to love God with all of our hearts, and this is how we do it. In order to coincide these things, we have to look at our relationships through the filter and through the grid of our love for Jesus. You can't look at the relationship first and then Jesus second. You have to look through the love for Jesus to the relationship, and it changes everything else. If they don't match up, you're in the wrong, or you're in danger of making a horrible decision, or you're going to go down a wrong direction. The love for Christ with all of your heart has to be the paramount thing to you in relationship. 
Let's talk about the second one, loving God with all of your soul. I told you it was going to be a little bit hard, hard this morning. I'm, I was fixing to say I'm sorry, but I, I'm, I'm not, because I, I need this too. I need to be reminded that I need to love Jesus with everything about me. Um, the second one, loving God with all of your soul. What is your soul? So what is your soul? Your soul is your identity. It is who you are at your very core. It is who you are at your very core. So this is what you need to remember about loving God with all of your soul. Uh, who you are should show who he is. Who you are should show who he is. So if, if soul is your identity, it's what you wrap your life up in, and it, your life should be wrapped up in Jesus Christ, okay? Loving God with all of my soul, all of my identity. And this kind of this idea of who you are is a reflection of God's character. So if God is, if God is love, then what our lives should be about is, is loving other people. That's the reason you've got this second part of the command here is loving your neighbor as yourself. So if your identity is wrapped up in Christ, it's reflecting God's character. So if God is love, then we're supposed to be about love. If God is holy, and he is, then we're supposed to be about holiness in our life. If God is peace, then we should be about peace. Your home should be a place of peace. Your relationship should be a place of peace. Your, your mind, your heart should be a place of peace because God is peace, loving God with all of our souls. If God is compassion, then we should be about compassion. If God is good, then we should be about goodness. Does that make sense? Okay, so whatever God is, our identity should reflect his character. So in other words, who you are should show who he is the very core of your being. The world is, I don't know if you've noticed this lately, but the world is obsessed with identities and labels. You can look on TV, you've heard decisions lately, you've heard all this, and the world is obsessed with, with an identity or a label to put on somebody. These become the essence and the obsession of who people are. They become the most important thing. So you've got questions like this, and people try to identify you and, and place a label on you. So you've got these questions. Are you straight? Are you gay? Are you bi? Are you transgender? Are you American? Are you Republican or Democrat? Are you white or black? Are you Baptist, Methodist, atheist, agnostic? Are you driven by money? Are you driven by getting ahead, having the next whatever? Are you consumed with bitterness and unforgiveness or lust and anger? You see, in culture and personal lives, it is almost as if these labels and identities are more important than people's names. And that's the problem. Because we as Christians have bought into the exact same thing. We're so focused on identities and labels. But the truth is, Scripture says something else. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3 quickly. I want you to flip over there. <coughs> And just see what Christ has, God has for us here. It's kind of interesting. Rod put a verse from Colossians 3 up on the screen this morning. We hadn't even talked about the message. And uh, Scott said he's teaching on the same thing in his class today. So it's, it's one of those things that's really cool. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. Let's read. Uh, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ. So in other words, stop right there. In other words, uh, you're a follower of Jesus. Okay, you've, you've, you've placed your faith in Christ. So since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. 
For you died to this life. You died to this life and your real life or your identity, your identity is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, let that sink in. Your real life, your real life, your identity is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for greedy people, a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but now is, is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off the old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on the new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So you, you begin to lose your identity and become like Jesus. You begin to reflect who Christ is. In verse 11, he says, in this new life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. So the whole basis of this passage is like, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in Christ, your identity is now hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, don't focus your identity and the labels of who you are on these different things. And he's like, listen, there's a whole list of sins there, and, and we could spend all day on these things saying, are you a greedy person? Are you a liar? Are you an adulterer? Uh, on and on and on, and it becomes our identity. But then he goes down, he's like, I don't care what nationality you are. I don't care if you're white or black, Hispanic, it just doesn't matter because Christ is all that matters. So it's an important passage of scripture that tells us, tells us something. There are only two true identities, only two true identities, sinner and forgiven, sinner and forgiven. As a believer, you, who you are should show who he is. And the thing is, this would take care of so much in our world if we just realized that we are followers of Christ, therefore we reflect Jesus. That's what we do. That's what our lives are supposed to be about. Who we are should show who he is. This is why Paul says here, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. This used to be us. Used to be us, but it's not anymore. That's our identity. Our identity is Jesus. Our identity is, is, is to, to reflect his character in our life and grow in that reflection and our love and our compassion with other people. I know many of, of us, many, of, many Christians, if you look on Facebook these days, many people are worried about the way the country is going. Um, a lot of people are like, man, I just don't know. I, you know, we're, we're in the last days and we probably are. But the truth is, is this, and I, I want to be honest with you. If the church would have reflected the grace of God to those around it, these things would never have happened. If the church would have, from the beginning, would have said, you know what, I'm just gonna be about, I'm gonna be about God. I'm gonna be about who Christ is in my life. And I'm gonna let that reflect to the world around me. The things that we see today just wouldn't have happened. If marriages would have been what they're supposed to be in the church, people would have a higher view of marriage. Does that make sense? That's just the way it is. The reason the culture is not being changed by the gospel is because the gospel hasn't changed the church. 
And until we as Christians can be changed by the gospel, we won't change culture. But we as a church, if we'll be about this loving God with all of our heart and all of our soul, culture will begin to change around us because our families change inside of our houses. Our church is changing inside of these walls because Jesus is changing us. And culture will take care of itself because the church is, is, is who it should be. So the gospel has to transform us first. So I see this day, I see this day as an actual, actually an opportunity for the church to finally be the church, for Christian marriages to be Christian marriages, for Christian individuals to be Christian individuals, people who reflect the glory of Jesus to those around him. It's an opportunity for the church to be what it's supposed to be. To love God with all of your soul means to point all of you to all of him. I'll say, loving, let, let's go to the next one. Loving God with all of your mind. This is the one that may be one of the most difficult because the trouble is no one knows what's in your mind but, but you. you. You're the only one that you know what actually you think about. So, but the thing is, it's, it's paramount to every other area of your life because every action and word first comes from your mind. You know, if it, here it comes again. If you want pie, it's in the mind first, and you walk to the fridge, and you get your piece of pie. It started right here first. You just didn't walk over there and just mindlessly eat the, well, you may have. Uh, but, <laughs> but the truth is, everything that you do, everything that you say, say starts here. So this is what you need to remember about uh, loving God with all of your mind. The things you give your mind to learn and think should increasingly show you that your mind is more inclined and disciplined to know and think like Christ. You do understand about these things that, that we aren't perfect in any of these. This is like a growing thing throughout our entire lives. But the truth is, is throughout our lives as a follower of Christ, these things of, of being uh, inclined and disciplined to know and think like Christ, um, they should be increasingly showing in, in your heart and your mind. They should start to overwhelm you, okay? They should start to take over the thoughts in your mind. It is the discipline of filtering your thoughts through your love for Christ. So let's go back to the relationship aspect, the loving God with all of your heart. You know, you have to look at the way that you think through your love for Christ. You have to first look through your love for Christ. Okay, does this match up? Does this line up with what I know about Jesus and what I know about truth? Does it line up with that? If it doesn't, kick it out. The Bible calls it capturing your thoughts. He says, you capture your thoughts and you decide, are they truth or are they not? If they're truth, you hold on to them. If they're not, you throw them away. It's consciously deciding in your mind, I'm going to think this, I'm not going to think this. This is truth, this is not out with the, what is not truth. And so he says here, he's like, you have to love God with all of your mind. So what do your thoughts tell you about yourself? If, you're, if your thought life, and only you know what your thought life is like, if your thought life is a cesspool of filth, then you know how much you love Jesus at this moment. But if it's a place of spiritual growth and development, it's a place where you, you start to ponder the things of God, and you start to pursue God in your mind, and you start to, to, to put that into your mind, and that's what starts to take over, you know how much you're loving Jesus at this moment with your mind because those are the things that you think about. This thought will radically change the way that you focus uh, in, in a daily life. It'll change everything. When you can look at a situation and you say, okay, I love Jesus, so this situation is, 
is not truth, so I'm going to shift my focus over here and focus on what I know to be truth in my life. It'll change the way that you focus, change the way that you think. It'll change everything about you. And this is the thing. Uh, there's always going to be a war for your mind, but the truth is, is the battles should be starting to win on the side of Christ. You can't expect to have a perfect mind, but you can't expect to have a growing in Christ mind. So let's read this one more time. The things you give your mind to learn and think should increasingly show you that your mind is more inclined and disciplined to know and think like Christ. That's a mind that is loving God with all of it, with all of it. So the final one, loving God with all of your strength. Okay, loving God with all of your strength. Here's what you need to know here. And it just gets harder. What you give your energy and strength to should easily tell those around you that what you invest your time and energy in, energy in is more about Christ than anything else. This is a hard one. It, it, it is a hard one for me. It's a hard one for all of us. But I'm more and more convinced when I, as I've read the Bible and go along in this thing called the Christian life that Jesus calls us to something that's very hard and is very worthy and it's an incredible type life. It's a radical type life. And we as Christians, especially here in America, we've kind of, for lack of a better word, we've dumbed down the Christian life. And as I read through this passage, I'm like, yeah, I love God with all of my heart, all of my soul. You know, I've, I prayed a prayer back in the day and I love God with all of my heart. But obviously that's not what he wants. He wants so much more. He wants all of us. And this aspect right here, I said this about the mind one, but I'm, this one may be the hardest. Because as Americans, we're wrapped up in, in everything that we do, everything that we do. And most of the time it has nothing to do with Christ. When he says, I want all of you, I want all of you. So why do you do the things that you do? Why do you work? Why do you go to school? Why do you do the hobbies that you do? Why do you play sports? Okay, so let's lock in here for a couple minutes and talk about these things real quick. Let, for um, Not too long ago, I talked about this aspect with the teenagers, this aspect of sports. I love sports. I played basketball when I was in high school. Uh, I played golf some in high school. Uh, I didn't play baseball. When you can't catch, throw, run, or hit, baseball is not for you. Okay, I watched it on TV, collected baseball cards. That's as close I got as baseball as I could do. But this is the question about sports for all of us. Whether you're, you're a kid that plays sports or you're a parent that takes your kids everywhere to play sports or you're a grandparent or whatever. Um, is that activity taking away from loving God with all of your energy and strength or is it easily seen that God is the one you love? And let that sink in. Is it merely a ball field or is it a mission field? It's all about perspective here. Is it a ball field or is it a mission field? I love it when a teenager comes up to me. This doesn't happen very often, but I love it when it happens. I love it when a teenager comes up to me. This happened at camp. He says, you know what? I play baseball or whatever. Love baseball, good at baseball. And, he's, and this kid was like, for some reason, my thoughts about baseball is changing. I don't know if I should quit or, or whatever. I said, well, tell me what you're thinking. 
He says, you know, I really want to use baseball to, to tell my teammates about Jesus. And I was like, okay, tell me more. And it was this idea. He's like, you know, I'm giving my energy and strength to this, this sport that has a wooden stick and a leather ball and you try to hit it over a fence, okay? And you run around in a, in a diamond-shaped pattern, which when you put it like that, it sounds ridiculous. But life centers around it so many times. And it was basically this thought. He's like, you know, I'm going to give my energy and strength to this, this sport, so why don't I use it for something good instead of just doing the, the sport? So he's like, I'm not going to let it get in my way of, of loving Jesus, so I'm going to try to reach my teammate, my coaches, and, and all of them for Christ while I'm doing that. I'm like, dead on. Exactly. That's what we're supposed to do. Is it a ball field or a mission field? Is it a catalyst for the gospel or a path to college scholarships in a possible career? If it's a path to college scholarships in a possible career, you're looking at it the wrong way. But if it's a catalyst for the gospel where this kid could be a a catalyst for the gospel on on his ball field or on the court or whatever, that's the way that we're supposed to look at it. There's nothing wrong with that sport. It's when that sport becomes a God, that's when it becomes wrong. And it can so easily become a God in a kid's mind or a parent's mind or even a grandparent's mind. So I'm trying to to help us understand what we give our energy and strength to. God says, he put it there for a reason. He's like, what you give your energy, energy and strength to is important. It's important. And I want you to love me through that. Love me with all of it. You can say the same thing about work. Okay, I haven't been in the church forever. I haven't worked in church forever. I worked in retail in Texas to pay the bills. But it's the same idea with with work. Is work taking away from your love for Christ, or is it a way that you can love Christ? It's the same thing. Is it just a, a method to pay the bills, or is it a catalyst for the gospel? Because where you are in your work is exactly where God wants you at this moment in your life to reach somebody. You are the missionary of the gospel wherever you are. That's where you're supposed to be at this moment. So you can look at it and say, you know, I can't do it here. I can't spread the gospel here. I can't be about Jesus here. Something needs to change. When I worked at, I worked at Buckle, retail store in Texas, didn't make no money. It, pay, it put food on the table. But I remember conversation after conversation with my coworkers that walked around that store with me all day. I remember conversation after conversation with, with um, people that would come into the store to buy jeans and T-shirts. I remember having like spiritual conversations with those people and having like real conversations with people trying on jeans because the focus was not the jeans. The focus was not my paycheck. The focus was where, what do I need to do to further the gospel right here, right here where I am. And wherever you are, that's your place that you can spread the gospel. What about hobbies? Let's talk about hobbies for a second. I'm all about hobbies. I love fishing and, and all of that, okay? So let's talk about a little about that fishing, golf, lake, whatever the case may be. Um, that's one thing that we spend our time and energy on, our strength on. So how can you love God with all of your strength and energy while doing a hobby? Uh, not too long ago, I preached in the youth, and one of the things I said, this is, this is how you can have the best summer ever. One of the points was this. Um, don't be normal. In fact, be weird. Okay? And this was the point that I was trying to make. 
It's like everybody goes to the pool. If you're a teenager, you go to the pool. I said, if you're at the pool by yourself, while you're sitting there on the float, use that time to pray because that's not normal for a teenager to do. It's weird, but we're called to be weird in a good way, okay? So use the time that you're laying there on the float and pray. You know, when you go to the, the creek to go kayaking, pull over at some point at the creek and just park there and, and look around at creation and praise God for his goodness and his creativity and who he is. Do something weird in the midst of a hobby, okay? And that's what he's saying is like, if, you're, if you go to the lake every weekend or you go to the lake most of the summer, every now and then take somebody with you that desperately needs encouragement, that desperately needs a word spoken into their life. You know, if you go fishing, this is a great, if you're by yourself and you love to be by yourself, fishing, do that, but use it as a time every now and then to pray and just praise God. That's how you can love God through your hobbies, loving God with all of your strength and all of your energy, where you take what you love to do, which is nothing wrong with that, and inserting and, and putting in place something that, that you can praise and, and love God with all of you in. Does that make sense? You understand where I'm, I'm tracking? And I know it's hard because it's hard for all of us. But the truth is this passage could possibly change everything. Loving God changes our lives. And it's supposed to change every aspect of our lives. Our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And you may think, man, I can't do that. That's, that's too hard. I can't, I can't fully do that. And I understand that. Even in the passage in, in Mark chapter 12, the guy, he's like, listen, Jesus, you've spoken well. I understand that that's important, but that's pretty much what he's saying. He's like, I understand that's important, but I, and, that, and that's when Jesus says, listen, you're not very far from the kingdom of God because this is what Jesus wanted him to understand. Yes, you're supposed to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And that is an impossible thing to do. It's an impossible thing to do. And Jesus is getting to the point here is, I'm the one that satisfies it. I'm the one that completes this. I'm the one that makes this possible. So no matter where you are in life right now, you may be sitting there and thinking, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Jesus does some ridiculous things. And the thing is, is if you don't know Christ this morning, he wants to make this possible in your life. And he's the only one that can do that. You can try to love God all you want to with a list of things to do and don't, and it will never get you anywhere. But the second you turn your life to Christ, he makes it possible. He makes it complete. He satisfies it. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're already, you're a follower of Christ probably in your mind you've identified some things that just don't line up with the love of Christ and there's some things that need to change and the gospel has pointed these things out to you reading this passage and every and, and as I've studied it I'm like oh my goodness here 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 I need to line up with how I say I love Christ I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning let's pray Lord, we love you, God. And we throw around that term so many times. But Lord, right here in this passage, you say, I want you to love me with all of you. 
And Lord, I pray that we would do that. I pray, God, that we would align our lives with the gospel. I pray that we would align our lives with this command straight out of your lips. Lord, I pray for the ones that are that don't know you in here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Help them to understand that loving you is the greatest adventure of life. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to join that adventure, join that journey uh, with you. Lord, I pray for the ones that are Christians, that are families, that are couples, that are individuals in here. God, I pray that you would align them with the love of Christ in their hearts and in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would change people today. In Jesus' name, amen.